Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 371. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 371. I'm so excited to have you with me today because in addition to our fabulous episode addressing the timely topic of regional wholesale flower hubs, I want to announce the opening of early bird pre-registration for the 2019 Slow Flowers Summit. Yes, it's so great to be able to unveil our program for the third annual summit, which will take place on July 1st and 2nd, 2019 in St. Paul, Minnesota, co-hosted with Twin Cities Flower Exchange. You can find all the details at slowflowerssummit.com or follow my links at today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers Summit is designed to meet the needs and interests of progressive floral entrepreneurs engaged in sustainable sourcing, design, and business practices. Your registration covers local flower tours, floral demonstrations, participation in creating an interactive large-scale installation, all meals, and 10 inspiring and informative speakers from across the floral continuum. Now's your chance to take advantage of early bird pricing through December 31st. Slow Flowers members enjoy the discounted registration of $275, while general admission is $325. Ticket prices at both levels will increase by $100 on January 1st. So if you want to drop hints for a holiday wish list, or if you want to invest in a tax-deductible business expense before the end of the year, the summit registration might just have your name on it. I can't wait to see you there. As I mentioned, the summit's co-host is Twin Cities Flower Exchange, and our partner is founder Christine Hoffman, a past guest of this podcast. Christine's innovative efforts to create a regional wholesale flower hub in the Twin Cities is one of the reasons I wanted to bring the summit there. As part of our summit programming, Christine will be joined by two other leaders in farm-to-florist wholesaling. There's our important emerging models we're witnessing in markets around North America. It's timely that one of Christine's fellow panelists is with us today, along with one of her collaborators. Please welcome farmer florist Amanda Marman of Gnome Grown Flowers and Alex Kachari of Seeley Farm. Together, they represent the exciting Michigan Flower Growers Cooperative. Amanda will join Christine at the summit to share insights, lessons learned, and strategies for how the Michigan Flower Growers Cooperative came to be. 
And our third panel presenter will be Nicole Skalski of Sonoma Flower Mart, a past guest of this podcast. The session will explore various models and strategies for developing a local flowers-focused regional wholesale flower hub. I've heard from so many who are hungry for this type of insight and resource, and I know it will be a valuable addition to the summit programming. As I mentioned, today you'll meet Amanda along with veteran grower Alex Seeley. Let me tell you a little more about both guests, and then we'll jump right into the conversation. Amanda and her family own and run a small cut flower farm and design studio in Ann Arbor, Michigan called Gnome Grown Flowers. That's right, G-N-O-M-E, Gnome Grown. She utilizes organic and sustainable practices, and loves growing a diversity of unique and interesting blooms that inspire creative and natural design. Amanda designs for small weddings, events, and funerals, and also cooperates with local farms that provide you-pick flowers for the public. She works with what is in season first and loves to collaborate with other local growers. Alex Kachari and her husband, Mark Nowak, own and operate Sealy Farm in Ann Arbor. They grow certified organic vegetables and cut flowers for sale to farmer's markets, chefs, and grocery stores. Alex says she got bit by the flower bug five years ago when she planted two beds of mixed flowers as an afterthought, along with the vegetable plantings. Those two beds quickly grew to almost a half acre of mixed annual flowers and foliage, an expanding collection of dahlias, and new perennial plantings every year. Alex likes to arrange with unique ingredients like foraged greenery, vegetables, and herbs. She also has been experimenting with lots of everlasting varieties as a way to enjoy locally grown flowers all season long. In 2016, Amanda and Alex, along with a cohort of other flower growers, started the Michigan Flower Growers Cooperative to serve the needs of growers through marketing and distribution of their products to the wholesale market. You'll find photos, links, and more resources in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to introduce my two guests, Alex Kachari of Sealy Farm and Amanda Maurerman of Gnome Grown Flower Farm. Both of these ladies are actively involved in the Michigan Flower Growers Cooperative, so clearly their farms are in Michigan. Hi, ladies. Hi. Uh, we're um, we're on the line, uh, getting ready to um, talk about a couple things. And first of all, I want to preface by saying, so many people um, approach me, and probably have approached both of you about how to create a regional flower hub. And I feel like it's timely to discuss what's going on with that model, since you're hopefully kind of at the t- tail end of your crazy season, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Alex, why don't you uh, give us a little background on the Michigan Flower Growers Cooperative, and then we'll let Amanda jump in. Sure. Um, Well, Amanda came to me in the fall of 2016 um, asking a bunch of questions about flowers. We're we're both flower growers. I've been growing flowers for eight years, Um, and she was interested in the distribution side of things. and I had had some of the same troubles. I'd been growing flowers for a number of years. I'd been sending availability lists out to florists, getting a little bit of action, but um, sales were slow and challenging at times. And we just kind of cooked up this idea of um, co-marketing or, or you know, getting banding growers together so that we could market collectively 
to florists and kind of meeting them with um, some convenience, you know, mm-hmm. bringing, getting all the product in one location at a specific time, offering an availability sheet that was really robust. We have um, 21 growers this year, so we can offer a really wide range of, of stems. Um, and, and just giving them the convenience they needed to, to, to make it easier to, to shop locally. Right, right. Um, what, what prompted you to seek Alex out, Amanda? Well, I, I had you know, moved to Michigan not long before that and, you know, had been growing in some way for quite a while. And I really wanted to get something started here. And so I was playing with what that might look like in my head. And while I was doing that, I was managing another farm and I had gotten hooked up with uh, Sue McCleary at Passion Flower, mm-hmm. which was Lisa Wad. And so over this time, you know, having experienced the Flower House and Detroit Flower Week and having been this little idea of a flower market kind of planted by these wonderful women, um, I that combined with needing to st- wanting to start my own business and what that would look like, um, it kind of all just came together. And I I cold called Alex and I cold called a couple other growers in the area and just wanted to talk and get to know each other and and figure out maybe what the potential was for for combining forces in our area. And it one thing led to another and it 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 was like it was just perfect. It was magical. Well that you know that reminds me I'm glad you brought up uh Detroit uh, Flower Week, but before that, even Flower House Detroit and Lisa Wad, of course, a past guest of this podcast, and Sue McCleary, past guest of this podcast. These are these women who are forces in the floral design world in in between Ann Arbor and Detroit, I guess. Um, but I wasn't. Didn't Diane Sukavati from Jello Mold Farm uh, speak at Detroit Flower Week about the formation of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market? She sure did. Okay. And and that and then I started interviewing other flower hubs kind of in other places and just kind of getting ideas of how all these different ones ran. And then Alex and Trilby, um, the, the third person who helped get this going, we all just butted our heads together all winter long and mm. came up with what what mm-hmm. is now our model. And so Trilby Becker, she came actually to the first Slow Flower Summit in 2017 in Seattle. And I remember talking with her about the fact that you you had a group and that was getting started. And I remember she wanted to go see the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market. So it sounds like there was this harmonic convergence where a few of you were being motivated by the same need and the same, uh, I guess, vision for what could happen in Michigan. Exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, and it, it was it was amazing also in the fact that the three of us have these very different and complementary skill sets. And so we were able to each tackle a piece of it, you know, what what we could, because we're also moms of young kids and we also, you know, run our own businesses. And so um, we couldn't none of us could have done it alone full time. So the fact that that it was just perfect the way that wow. the three work together. Uh-huh. Really going. Was that Amanda who just spoke? 
Yes, it was. <laughs> okay, so give me uh, kind of the chronology. Like you had this idea, you were talking it about, about two years ago this time. What did it actually take? Like, just walk us through that process. What did it take to get to where you are now and then talk about where you are now? So I, I was just thinking about that period. This is Alex speaking. Um, right. From, so so we were talking in like September, October, and then, you know, the holidays happened and we sort of dropped by the wayside. And when we came back after the new year, I mean, January through through April, I think, was a pretty busy time for us. And we I will say we had a lot of support from the Seattle market. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of the contact Amanda had there. Oh, oh was it Molly Sadowski? It was Molly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's, please, if you're listening to this, don't call her right now. She's wrapping up her season. (laughs) But she's, she's a wonderful person. She was immensely helpful. They shared with us their bylaws, um, which our bylaws are, you know, heavily fashioned after. Um, We also paired up with a really fantastic local lawyer who knows about cooperative development and Mm. helped us sort of establish the business and, clean up the bylaws. So that was infinitely helpful. So we spent that winter, early spring, basically creating a business, getting a bank account. Um, you know, we each three of us put in, you know, some personal funds to get the payroll, you know, the, the cash flow going. Um, and it was a push. I mean, we, I wanted to open in June. We opened our first week open was, um, 4th of July week in 2017. Wow. And we had, um, I think it was only like 10 members to start. And then we got a few more trickled in throughout the season. Um, but we had a good show of it. I mean, our first market, we've got pictures from that first market and people really brought it. And, um, for field grown cuts, first week of July is kind of early for Michigan too, but we had great variety available and, um, Mm. just a lot of energy behind it. And I think all of those original 10 members are, are still in the cooperative now. Wow. And didn't you start in like um, a donated space that Susan McCleary and her husband had in their warehouse or something? I mean, how did, where was that? Put it, put us on the map. Yeah. So she was very generous. And for our first season, she donated her studio space, Okay, which is a really nice, there's a lot of natural light, um, just a really beautiful space. And so we quickly filled that by the end of the season and um, so this year we are now at, at a different spot in Ypsilanti, um, equally wonderful. But yes, she was very critical in that first year and not having to, to pay overhead on, on rent, mm-hmm. letting us build some capital first. Before mm-hmm. And so that was in Ann Arbor, right? Yes. Okay. And now you're in Ypsilanti. Is that how you say it? Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti. Yeah. And where is that? Um yeah in between Ann Arbor and Mich- and Detroit or to describe it for me? Yeah, it's just east of Ann Arbor. Okay. Yep. Um, so what are, like, obviously you can't be a year-round hub. So what are your, like, what's the arc of of how when you're open and, and how frequently you're open? Yeah, so this year our doors open that first week of April. Wow. And uh, we were hoping to go through October, although it looks like we'll be getting frost here over the weekend, maybe even tonight. So oh. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. that's going to play out for the next couple of weeks. We may call market early. We, we may not. It depends on. <laughs> well, let's see. This is going to air on October 17th. And I have to say that probably everyone listening to this podcast in North America is having the same thought. So <laughs> it's like mixed feelings, right? 
Exactly. Exactly. Is it a one day a week um, setup or? It is. Currently, it is Wednesday mornings from 7 until 11. Okay. Okay. And then what? I don't know the geography. What like how far are people coming from? I know Lisa Wad has said to me that she drives up from Detroit and picks up product, right? Yeah, she comes every week. And how far is that for her? Probably between thirty and forty minute drive. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, that same as Seattle, and people are driving um, to one spot rather than three yeah. or four different farms. So it, it's it is more efficient. For sure. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about, um, you talked about working with a local lawyer and I'm just curious because there are many models around, uh, maybe Amanda, you can address this. Why did you feel the co-op model as a legal entity was, was right for what you guys wanted to do? Oh, you know, did we even entertain any other? No. No. Okay. Okay. You just, just, it just, from the conversation, I thought we all, all three of us felt really strongly that it should be grower owned and, mm. and operated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our board is set up um, majority growers. We have a seven member board and five of those seats are for growers and two of them are for industry representatives. So we have two florists that sit on it. Um, we just felt really strongly that we're an organization that serves our growers. I mean, yeah, you know, we, we definitely want to provide stellar things for our buyers and provide excellent customer service. But, you know, at the end of the day, the farmers got to pay their bills. So that's who, who we're, who we're serving. Yeah. It's got to work for the, for the agriculture base yeah. that it's built on. For sure. I yeah. will say too, you know, it's been so exciting to see the participation from the growers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we had our annual meeting recently last month and did a grower survey, just trying to, you know, get some feedback from everyone. And um, people are really excited to be engaged. And with this new um, grant we have coming in, which we can speak about soon, um, we're going to have even more grower involvement, sending people to conferences, doing technical workshops. So, you know, I think I always envisioned this being um, something that would, it would be a participatory Mm -hmm. process. So Uh it's, it's helping myself and my farm, but it's also helping encourage other growers in our region. Um, Many of our growers um, have, I would say the majority of our growers have been growing flowers for less than five years. Sure. And and I'd say 99% of them have been growing for less than 10 years. We have Mm -hmm. one veteran grower. So, um, so we're, we're all, you know, according to the USDA definition, we're all beginning farmers um, Mm -hmm. or or new to farming. And so, um, you know, what, what a cool way to, you know, grow your businesses together, you know, with fellow mm-hmm. colleagues. Yeah. that Was that Alex? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was really well put. And isn't it interesting that uh, even just a couple years ago, as I recall, when, when Flower House happened, which was, I guess, three years ago, there it was pretty rare that there was Amanda showing up with product from her former farm, Cornman Farm, and um, Michael Genovese showing up with his dahlias. But then everything else had to like be foraged or brought in from California, it seemed, or or the wholesalers who were donating. Like it seemed like there was nothing on the Michigan landscape that was local or very little. 
And maybe that was a wrong impression. That was my impression. But obviously, all this groundswell of interest was happening. You just created a, a, a hub for everyone to come together and find each other, too, I would imagine. Right. Well, um, talk about the grant. Uh, I, I, you both have alluded to it. I know, uh, well, Amanda's alluded to it in a past conversation, and, and Alex, you just referred to it. So you started with what, like a few hundred bucks from each of you in a, in a bank account kind of thing and, <laughs> and donated space, and this was less than two years ago? Exactly. I mean, we were like, I remember we started and we we were just grateful that growers were joining us and paying their membership dues. We're like, oh, thank you. I mean, you know, we didn't know we had nothing to to market to people to Mm -hmm. say, you know, here's what you're going to get for your membership. Uh, What did they pay to, to become members? Uh, dues, well, in our first year, we offered um, an, an option for people to volunteer hours at the market mm. um, for the value of their dues. So I think it was four mm-hmm. market hours um, for $100. Mm. That's now up to, we've done away with the volunteer hours and now um, to join this $200 and then it's $50 to renew every year. Mm-hmm. That's so modest. I mean, you can't get any kind of marketing venue for that kind of investment. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. You made it very, you made it very easy for a beginning grower to participate. It sounds like. Mm -hmm. For sure. So then did you start shopping around for writing grants or like, how did, how did this all come together? Well, earlier, this is Amanda speaking. I went through um, our three different skill sets. Yeah. Well, this, this would be Trilby's wheelhouse. Um, (laughs) very um, talented in grant writing. And so she identified this. um, I think this might have been the same grant that Seattle got. Um, And so that was kind of on her radar. So when it came time to apply, she jumped right on it, Mm -hmm. along with the help of one of our other growers who also um, has skills in grant writing. And they, I mean, it's a a beast to write this grant. They, They nailed it. And so um, starting January, we'll be getting, hitting the ground running. Is it a specialty crop block grant or a value-added producer's grant? Specialty crop block grant. Okay. Okay. So kind of administered through the Michigan Department of Agriculture, but it's USDA funds? Exactly. Wow. Yep. That is amazing. It's probably the first time there's ever been grant money given to flower farmers in Michigan, given, or maybe the, maybe the bulb growers got it years ago, but... Um, yeah, it was it was a real shocker. I mean, yeah. I think that you know the, the MDARD identified as. I mean, we're we're a mostly women run business, mm-hmm. and it's an emerging market in mm-hmm. Michigan. I mean, floriculture in Michigan for so long has meant the nursery industry, mm-hmm. and I think Michigan's the number one producer in hanging, you know, petunia baskets, and and that and it's been you know greenhouse production and right. hasn't really been on the radar, but. You know, I'd like to think that, you know, we've sort of identified a new growing specialty crop in our state. And, you know, as Trilby put it, she had a really good one liner like cut flowers is going to be the new, you know, Michigan asparagus. You know, <laughs> lines everywhere, you know, like Michigan, buy Michigan asparagus. <laughs> OK, I don't even know that Michigan was known for its asparagus, but I love the way you put it because it, it's kind of I'm sure it translated really well in the, you know, among the grant reviewers, like, oh, I get that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Michigan has a really large um, agricultural 
uh, economy. I mean, we're the second or third largest in the country. So a uh, little state, but a lot of farmland. Yes. And but you're right about the nursery, the, like the ornamental horticulture and um, retail products that are going into retail nurseries. I, I'm familiar with that side of it, too, from my world as a garden writer. So um, it's cool that floriculture is now being seen as a legitimate part of agriculture and a economy that uh, a state should invest in. So congratulations. And, and what are you going to do with all? I mean, first of all, I, I don't know how big the grant is, but what are you going to do with the money? What are your cha- what your challenges and plans? You know, they there's actually quite a bit written into the grant. Um, like Alex spoke to earlier, um, technical workshops for our growers and for our florists, um, and going to different um, you know bridal expos and mm. do different marketing things, hiring you know, branding expert, um, and then also logistical things like getting a truck cooler and working on a new POS and pre-ordering system and. Um, there's a ton written into the grant. That's amazing. And well, and you you said it was like fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Sixty-five. Wow. And it, for over a number of years, though, right? Year and a half. Oh wow, impressive. Well, that probably gives you because I know at this time of year everybody's so burned out and exhausted, and probably the prospect of a, the the financial support for on the horizon is is making you feel not so exhausted like oh we can do this we've got we've got we can take it to the next level over the next two years yeah well I think what's exciting about the grant is instead of just envisioning year three as kind of a repeat of year two um with you know a, a, a modest growth factor we can really we can really branch out so with delivery service we can reach you know many more customers um you know with greater exposure and branding um we can we can just you know get more intention, increase our sales, and and the part I'm most excited about is educating our growers and, mm-hmm. and as a grower myself, participating in these workshops and really expanding my tech, technical and production knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's really essential, and I guess in a way, completely investing in the credibility of the industry because you can establish best practices and. Um, baseline, you know, standards for anybody who wants to jump into this industry. And mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, yeah, you're defining it from the beginning because it doesn't really exist in, in the cut flower marketplace where you are. Yeah. And I think what's, you know, one of the real challenges being a flower grower here is because we are not, a, we are not a co- traditionally a commercial cut flower growing region is just learning, you know, the, capacity of our growing season right Mm -hmm. learning you know like I'm doing a lot of experimentation on my farm with you know biennials you know doing succession planting just really maximizing our you know our season is relatively short we're zone 6a um, and we have several growers including myself using hoop houses for season extension and so there's so much to explore in terms of increasing the breadth of our op- of our offerings, the diversity of our offerings, but also extending our season. Mm-hmm. And so um, without, you know, sort of like these larger production scale farms to look to for learning on that, I mean, we're just going to, we're just going to learn by doing and experiment amongst ourselves. So that's right. really- I love it. 
I love it. That's so cool. Well, before we go on, I want to hear about both of your farms. Before we jump on to that, though, just talk a little bit about where you're located now and um, how you found that facility and, like, what, what's it like? And what, what's it like on a weekly basis when florists come in on Wednesdays? Mm. Yeah, so we are partnering with um, actually one of our grower members is a, is a nonprofit urban farm and educational center. And they have a rental facility. It's like a kind of warehousey feel, mm-hmm. um, much more approachable. Um, super cute, open, concrete floor, lots of great light. Um, and so they rent it to us on a weekly basis in Ipilani. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, a way that all the farmers can easily get in and drop their product off and then the florists have parking and they can access it. Yeah. So they're really, really flexible. There's a, um, a cooler that the growers can access with a key code so they can drop off, you know, like for example, I have to drop my stuff off on Tuesday nights after I do bedtime with my kids <laughs> I'm in at like nine thirty, ten o'clock and just popping in the key code and putting stuff in the cooler. So it's, it's really nice. It's, it's a great convenient and yeah. large functional space. Is it normally used for food crops and you're the only flower flower crop? You said it was one of your members, so they must be pretty diversified. Yeah, they are. They do a lot of food production and they also host the Ypsilanti Farmer's Market. So there's stuff for that. So they, it's a really, um, it's a great community organization that we're working well, I mean, to hearing about that, the takeaway for me is if someone is listening to your this this podcast episode, the, it, what what they need to do is find natural alliances maybe yeah. in the food space, uh, right? I mean, that seems like such a more mature market. Mm-hmm. That's a really great point, yeah. Hmm. Well, okay, so I want to hear about Sealy Farm and Gnome Grown Flower Farm. Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sealy Farm. It sounds like you were growing for uh, kind of a lonely, oper- you know, solo farmer out there before Amanda <laughs> sought you out. <laughs> well, I think in terms in terms of flowers, maybe. Um, yeah. So so we grow. Um, we're certified organic, and we grow a diversity of vegetables and cut flowers. Oh. Um, I, so we started our business eight years ago, and. Um, and when I started growing flowers, it was, you know, two 100-foot beds I put in as an afterthought and immediately fell in love. And I was um, bringing bunches to – Lisa was located in Ann Arbor at the time, and I was bringing bunches to Pot and Box and selling them on consignment, you know, figuring out any way that I could market these flowers that I really started to love growing Um so now, I, now um, we grow, I'd say, a total of six acres of crops. Um, flowers constitute um, one half to one acre of that, um, depending on the year. Mm-hmm. And I grow a mix of annuals. Um, I've been doing a lot more of the biennials um, in the past few years. I use my hoop houses for spring season extension on um, cold season annual flowers. And the past two years, I've been investing a lot more in perennials. So, wow. Wow. Um, so really diversifying the flower, you know, offerings. Um, Where's your farm located? Uh, and what, what is the name significance of Sealy? Yeah, good question. Uh, well, our farm is, uh, we're just four miles north of downtown Ann Arbor. So oh, wow. We're right in this um, 
sort of urban growth boundary just outside of it. Um, our farm is protected under a conservation easement. And so um, all this budding development that's going on around us will not affect our farm, which we're more proud to say. Wow, that's awesome. And uh, Sealy Farm, we named our business after a place. Uh, my husband and I run the farm together, uh, Mark, and we lived in the Hudson Valley Um for a couple of years, and we we managed a property that was the original Sealy family homestead. It was a 120 acre sheep farm, and that was kind of where our love of farming started. And um, we just realized this is what we wanted to be doing, and um, it was kind of a seminal period for us. So we, when we came out here and started our business, we named it after. <laughs> Like all people moving west, they bring their um, <laughs> their <laughs> inspiration from. Like I live in Des Moines, Washington, and everyone wants to know why. And I'm like, well, these people from Des Moines, Iowa, moved out here at the turn of the century, and <laughs> they couldn't come up with their own city names. So they they used their their old hometown. <laughs> so likewise, you know, even in New England, you have you know New Amsterdam, and you know all these. Places. Oh, like Hudson, right? Yeah, it's it's so it's so t- it's wonderful in a way. You have a modern twist on that, mm-hmm. and um, it's funny, Alex, that you said you used to sell to Lisa. I remember when I first met Lisa, she still was pretty much based in Ann Arbor with Pot and Box as a kind of garden slash floral business and you were probably one of the first local flower farmers she ever met then maybe you know i didn't know other flower growers for like the first five years Mm -hmm. i was growing flowers Mm -hmm. so it was kind of a lonely endeavor and you know i was kind of you know making phone calls and knocking on doors and trying to find you know who are these people that will buy my flowers and you know i was really inspired by you know i was reading growing for market and Mm -hmm. 10, I was reading, um, Aaron Benzacane was writing articles in there about, you know, different flower trials she was doing. And, and that's what inspired me to really start planting. And then once you open that door. <laughs> <laughs> so what was, what was that first 100 yard, um, or 100 foot, uh, row of, of flowers? Was it like zinnias or something? Oh, no, I, I made so many mistakes. <laughs> I, I like field planted ranunculus in May and then it bloomed in July, all short and angry. And <laughs> I, I like direct seeded these poppies cause I love poppies. And then, and then quickly realized that's not a very marketable flower, you know, like the, the opium poppies. Right. <laughs> I just, I would just, you know, tried things that, that I loved, you know, in pictures and have learned a lot by, <laughs> by, by doing and by trying, um, yeah, it was a pretty diverse little patch. Well, obviously, you knew how to grow food, and so you think, well, how hard is it to grow flowers? I mean, but it is a different kind of, a, it's much more complex, I think, because of the, it's not just seed-based. Um, yeah, yeah, there's so many different crop families, too. I mean, and I think that's what's exciting to me. I mean, this year, more than any of the years I've been growing, I am just in flower la-la land, because... Mm. It's a lifetime investment, uh, you know, intellectually speaking. I mean, it's, you know, it's this untold world. I mean, there are so many crop families out there. And, um, and you know, I, we will always grow vegetables. My, my heart has not wandered too far away. But, um, you know, it's, it's just an exciting new thing for me right now. Well, I, before I jump over to Amanda, I do want to ask you just briefly to describe what is your current... Um, kind of you're like the hub of the flower 
business at Sealy, how many spokes are there? Are you selling everything through the Michigan Flower Growers Cooperative, or do you have other uh, channels that you're moving your flowers through? Um, this year I've sold about a third of my flowers through the co-op market. So it's a significant chunk. Mm -hmm. Um, for several years I did, um, weddings and events. And then the past two years I stopped doing that, which I'm so glad that I did (laughs) not well suited for it. Um, so the rest of my sales are, I do, we do the downtown Ann Arbor farmer's market. And so I do market bunches. Um, and then this year I picked up a wholesale distributor is my third sales outlet. So it's about a third each. Mm-hmm. And do you find, I don't know if this is too personal to ask, but do you find that the co-op flowers are the most profitable channel for you or are they just, is it just a different, like some, some of these channels are more volume based and others are more cash flow base and others are more like long-term strategy. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm sure they're all different. Yeah, it, it, it is all different. I mean, the, the co-op is certainly profitable. It's a, I mean, it's appealing as a grower to have a sales outlet that I don't have to arrange for. Um, and you know, even after several years of doing it, I'm, I'm not that fast at market bunches. Mm. And then, and I do, you know, the factory line thing and everything. I mean, I have a system, but right. Right. You know, it's time that you have to make sure you're getting paid for. And our 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 Ann Arbor our farmers market here, we have a lot of competition. There's a lot of growers who've been doing field grown cuts for a long time, and and the prices are very low. And so it's hard for me to capture that retail dollar in my market bunches. So I'm actually yes, making um, a little more money. If I were to break it down per stem, probably making more money wholesale than I am retail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that. And that just leads me to one other question about the co-op. I know at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, there's clearly a, like a percentage that is uh, goes to the front desk. Um, how are you guys, I know this question is going to come up, so I have to ask it for the podcast. How do the, what's the split for the farms um, and the co-op in terms of mm-hmm. those sales? Yeah, we do a 30% sales commission goes to the co-op. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that being said, growers set their prices. Mm. So, um, so, you know, it's up to them if they want to, you know, set those accordingly, you know. You know sure. That's that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the biggest um, gut-wrenching decision that is it happens in these flower regional flower hubs so that's similar to the seattle wholesale growers market i might be exactly the same i'm not sure yeah Yeah. (laughs) um okay miss amanda tell us about gnome grown flower farm i love when i met you you were at Mm cornman which is like a a giant operation that's owned by zingerman's right right exactly okay um so i grew up in ann arbor um, but I, I found my, my farming passion out in New Hampshire when I lived there. And um, I had been growing for five or six years at that point when we decided to move, the, my family decided to move back to Ann Arbor. And um, we bought a house on some land, but because of the move, there wasn't a lot of capital there for me start anything. So um, I sought out um, other farming opportunities in the area and I found Cornman and they hired me to manage their their production farm. Um, 
and I I did that for a couple of years, and and because of the hire, I I encouraged them to think about growing cut flowers because they were growing mostly vegetables for uh, their restaurant. Right. And so upon hiring me, um, I started growing flowers for the event space, um, also for like a, a in-house CSA that I started. And I had not really grown flowers up to that point. I was like, I actually that I was mostly doing vegetables and planted that first few beds and fell in love. Um, and it, mm. it really blossomed. I mean, I met Sue McCleary, who was buying things for me, introduced me to Lisa, you know, and I, I kind of went down that, that path of um, farmer floristry. Yeah. Yeah. And that community was encouraging of you doing that too, right? Big time, big time. Um, there was a lot of demand. And so I, I kind of went with that. And um, unfortunately, the the production, the agricultural production side of, of Cornman is no longer. And so I, I knew that was coming. They gave me plenty of heads up. And so it was like that, that moment that is stressful at that time, but in hindsight, you're really fortunate, you know, you're, you're happy that you had that, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's time to make a decision. And so my, I, I had my, my husband's blessing who he's not a farmer, um, at all, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had his blessing to, to start this, this thing. So that's awesome. And you I know. when did you start Gnome Grown? It was it about the same time that you reached out to Alex and talked about the co-op or did, it was yes, actually the exact same time. <laughs> so you were like, <laughs> look, I'm going to do this. <laughs> it all kind of came to a head at the same moment. And I knew, I knew that in order for my personal business to be successful, I really, I needed this co-op. I needed, cause I, I was a mom of a young kid, soon to be two kids, and I didn't have time to be chasing sales all the time. Um, I, I I had a lot to manage. And right. so I, I pulled this together out of want for the farming community, but also out of personal need as well. I hear that from so many uh, farmers or, you know, who just say, look, my love is growing. Just let me grow. I don't want to have to market. I don't want to have to make bunches. I don't want to have to chase, you know, brides. Like everyone has to create their own model, obviously. But um, but the the love of farming seems to be what you don't want to lose. And you you, I guess you've realized your own future by by teaming up with Alex and Trilby and saying, here's how I can be a flower farmer if I have this this channel to sell my sell my flowers. And not only sell, but buy. I mean, I do a lot of wedding work. Um, you know, my my main income for my business is actually not in the sale of stems. It's in it's in the sale of, of events and design. So I, I also didn't want to be chasing them around to buy their beautiful stuff. So it's really, um, it, was, it was definitely a need on both ends for me to really do I, this. I will interject here that, Amanda's being very modest, but she is our number one event florist <laughs> buyer at the co-op. And that's a lot. So we have we have retail florists and then we have event florists and then we have um, retail and event, you know, florists that do a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. For for event purchasing, Amanda's number one. I mean, she is like premier in terms of really highlighting 
I'm sure you're being very modest oh, here, but I mean, Amanda will do a whole wedding with all with all local. I mean, it is it is her absolute passion and commitment. And many, I would say, most of our buyers at the co-op, they're mixing, right? Yeah. So the specialty stuff from us, the stuff that doesn't ship well, the dahlias and all that, but they're certainly buying from the distributors. And I understand that. That's the model. They need the security of knowing that they're going to have X on a certain date. But Amanda's flexible. I mean, I, you know, you should almost like do a workshop on this, you know, like how to be like the all local world. I love it. Right. You can't say I'm going to have PMUs in September. You just, do you just work off color palettes or texture? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Color palettes. And, and I, from the beginning, you know, suggest and, and, but with the caveat that um, it's seasonally dependent, which, you know, freaks, freaks brides out because they want what they want um but but it, it always has worked out there's never been a time where it's just been an utter disaster right I really appreciate hearing that and um I wish there were more people uh who could approach their design business with that pure philosophy I know it's not I mean I it's easy to say it's not realistic, but obviously you're proving that it is doable. And what a good model in a way. Just I always find that nothing inspires people to change than watching someone else's success. And so hopefully in this very kind of low-key way, you're just walking the talk and hopefully that will <laughs> inspire others. That's That's exciting. I'm excited to see some of your work, Amanda. Will you share a few photos of some of your recent weddings? For sure, I will. And Good. I will say, early in the game, there were a few decisions that I had to make as a farmer and florist. And one of them was um, doing events year-round, mm. keep the income coming. Um, and so I do source uh, things out of season. Yeah, like through through um, a wholesaler or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in season, yeah, I, I, you know, as soon as market opens in April and sometimes even before um, through frost. Mm. So, so Amanda, you're describing yourself as a farmer florist. I think we talked about this recently. And Alex, um, how, how, would you like... To, to give me your, are you, are you a market grower or like, what would you, you're not trying to do design uh, all that much other than your, your bouquets, right? No. Yeah. No, no design work. You're a dif- diversified certified organic farm. You've got enough on your plate with food and flowers. I mean, I do love, I love playing around with stems and I, and I love making the market bunches, but that's, that's enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's exciting. And I'm really excited to um, have this preview because um, I've invited Amanda to uh, speak at the 2019 Slow Flower Summit, which will be in um, the Twin Cities in St. Paul uh, on July 1st, on a panel about this basically farm to florist um, whole regional wholesale hub explosion that's happening around the country. So this is just a little preview of what people will hear. And also, you know, it'll be great, um, Amanda, because you'll be into your grant by then and you'll be able to give people kind of a, a, you know, the lessons learned from that model as well. For sure. I'm very much looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And Alex, maybe we'll see you there too. We'll have to, we'll have to see if you can break away from (laughs) 
your family. And, no, and if only you would hold the summit in the winter, Deborah. The growers can make it in July. I know. I'm torn. I've I've had that conversation too. It's like, uh, I started this during American Flowers Week and I it's just like the live human expression of a virtual social media based campaign. And so I guess I'm just going to have to go around the country in every market so that I can, um, like maybe when I come back to the Midwest, we'll do it in Ypsilanti, Ypsilanti, Ypsilanti or, or Ann Arbor. It's easier to say (laughs) so that you can come. (laughs) This is pretty close. Yeah. 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 Um, any, I, I definitely want to have uh, photos from both of you of you guys and your flowers and your um, your own what you what you design and produce yourselves, and then also what's happening at the Michigan Flower Growers Co-op. So I can share those in the show notes uh, for today's episode at deborahprinzing.com, and um, I'll make sure everyone knows how to follow you both at your social places. And uh, good luck as the season winds down, which is kind of I'm using air quotes on that because I know that as soon as there's a frost, you're going to pivot to all the other things you've been putting off. Right. Um, <laughs> any inquiries from people who are interested in, you know, our model or, or something like it for their own community. Uh, we only have two years of experience to share, but it's something. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. And I think that um, as just as a footnote on that, it is, um, very a little bit scary and daunting to think about you know a legal cooperative and there are obviously every state probably has their own rules for that so it's just you made the leap and maybe having a group a core group helped uh make it not as difficult as if you were by yourself you know launching something like this so i think that that, those are those are just practical things to talk about as well so excellent. Thank you both so much. I'm really, really happy to hear your story. And I'm just so excited to get Michigan on my visit uh, schedule for uh, the peak of season. I'm dying to see your farms. Awesome. Hopefully that will happen soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Deborah. Deborah. Take care. Bye. much for joining me today as you heard the story of a new model for selling locally grown flowers in Michigan and enjoyed a wonderful preview to the upcoming presentation Farm to Florist Seeding and Growing a Regional Flower Hub which will be at the 2019 Slow Flower Summit on July 1st. Take time to visit the Slow Flowers Summit site to learn more about the amazing programs, people, and flowers you'll engage with next summer. It's not too early to save the date and secure your seat. We have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 369,000 times by listeners like you. 
Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. And thank you to our podcast sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products. And join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds. Supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG, was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., We're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at Mayesh.com. Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown Program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org. And the Team Flower Conference, a professional floral event where flower lovers from all over the world gather for networking, learning, and celebration. It's a special time for the floral industry to come together, and whether you're a farmer, designer, wholesaler, or just love flowers, you're invited to attend as Team Flowers dreams big for the industry's future. Head to teamflowers.org slash slowflowers to learn more about the 2019 conference in Waco, Texas. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.